Hello, hello. Hey, 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 hey. I don't know if you've heard, but we put off telling you last week during our announcements that was National Procrastination Week. <laughs> I'm just joking. I know. <laughs> That's kind of how Chevy got the response. All right, so we are going to continue our message. This whole message series is for you to really be introspective. That's to look inside yourself, to recognize who you are as a person. And uh, tonight we are going to ask some very important questions. First off, how well is it that you know yourself, the true self that you are? How well do you know who you really are? And what exactly do you really know about yourself? And the most important question, do you even like who you really are? I think that's hard for people to really think about sometimes. Do you even like the person you are? Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't like the person you are. All these things are really important. Um, how well you know yourself, how you feel about your own personality, really has a lot to do with how you're going to grow and how you're going to develop into the person as an adult. So all that stuff is really important to get figured out now. <clears throat> um, how are you ever going to expect another person to like you and to know you if you really don't even know who you are or like yourself. How many people out there like themselves? Okay. Is there anybody that really thinks they're very, very annoying? Honesty is a good thing. Honesty is a really good thing. <clears throat> um, have you ever really thought about who your true self really is? Do you wear a mask? Are you a person that walks around pretending to be somebody that you're not? Do you kind of really just be yourself all the time? <clears throat> or the real question, the important question, are you real to your true self? Are you true to your real self? There we go. All right. So <clears throat> who is your true self? I, I would say that your true self is the person that you are when no one else is looking. You know, when you're alone in the house all by yourself, and it's not a problem, you know, to stick your fingers all the way up to your elbows, up your nose. That's when you're being your true self. Because you know nobody else, you, you don't want anybody else to see that. You know, you, you don't want to see that. You don't want nobody to see that. But, you know, those kind of things when you're by yourself, that's your true self. Um, it's really where your deepest thoughts live. Those things that you really think about and, and wonder about and worry about and maybe um, get afraid for your future about. It's how you treat yourself. I think sometimes that we could be our own worst critic. There's times that I think that uh, when something goes wrong, we're probably way harder on ourselves than anybody else would be. I know I can be that way. I'll do something and I'm like, stupid. That was really dumb. Hello. Smarten up. You know? And I mean, I probably would never treat anybody else like that, but I'll treat myself like that sometimes. Um, I really think it's really who we are at our most raw state. You know? No facades, no masks, no nothing. It's just who we really are. And uh, I think some people, their true self would really fall short of who they really would say that they are. 
think for some people, maybe just the opposite. Some people, honestly, may be much kinder, nicer, gentler than they really would portray themselves to be and uh, would probably outshine who they really project to the world and others on a daily basis. So the goal tonight for, uh, for you really to think about, I, I want you just to stop and be introspective about, is to know who you are, to be who you are, and to like who you are. I think all those things are really important for us to think about. So obviously this, you know, if you look at a person being born, a little baby comes into this world, they pretty much have a personality. I mean, it doesn't take very long. Even if they're a small baby, you can recognize that certain babies are better than other babies. I mean, some babies are going to cry all the time, need a lot of attention. Some babies are just really calm, easygoing. So people are born with their natural personalities. We know that that exists. I told you before, um, anybody that has been around me talking before, I've told you that Cameron cried for the first two years. We call him Tomato Baby. He never shut up. He cried continually. Shelby was like the most calm baby ever. She never made a peep. You never knew she was there. Could take you anywhere. Natural personalities of who they are. But what ends up happening also on top of our natural personality is our environment takes over. The families we live in, the environments that we're brought up in, the homes that you're, you're living in, all kind of begin to mold you into the people um, that really you now see and will become. It's all those different things kind of layer and makes you into the person that you will ultimately be. Um, even though we can be predisposed to be a certain type of person, uh, we really can't disregard the effects of uh, environment that can put up on your lives. Now, I'm sure you guys have seen those different things, those talk shows before where there's twins or triplets that are uh, separated you know, at birth, and all of a sudden they go back, you know, it's like 20 years later, and they're like, oh, my goodness, look at this person's exactly like, you know, they had the same jobs, they had this, and they had that. I think that we can say that there's something about personality. That's maybe their natural personality. But you can see from the other that a lot of times environment and how we're raised can also make a big difference into uh, the person that you become. Um... There's a poem that I remember reading, and it was years ago when I was a kid. And I remember going with my sister. You know, I, I told you before, my mom died when I was young, so I went and lived with my sister. And uh, my sister had little kids, and I remember going to the doctor's office with her when her kids were really small. And I remember reading a poem that was on a wall in the doctor's office. And it was one of those poems that I was, like, really, like, kind of read through many, many times and I thought about. And uh, it was called um, The Parenting Poem. And it was one of those ones that actually, like, when I read it, it really meant a lot to me. It was really, um, it was a really powerful poem because it, it was one of those ones that actually makes you stop and think about childhood and future and, and all these things. It was written by a Christian woman, actually, named Dorothy Nolte. And it, what's interesting about the poem is it actually still is considered one of the most popular poems to actually cross, like, tons of barriers. I mean, it t crosses race, it crosses culture and, and religions and all these different things. There's so many people were like really just amazed with this poem. It had such a wide appeal. And how it goes is this. It says, if children live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. If children live with fear, they learn to be apprehensive. If children live with pity, they learn to feel sorry for themselves. 
If children live with encouragement, they learn confidence. If children live with tolerance, they learn patience. If children live with praise, they learn appreciation. And if children live with acceptance, they learn love. I really believed in that poem. I was like, it really touched me like at this really deep part of myself. And um, I really think that for people to grow up to be well-adjusted, balanced citizens in the world, I do think it's really important for them to be treated in a certain way while they're growing up. I think all of us probably could see there are certain people who have been raised in homes where all of a sudden they grow up and they're just not a, a decent, balanced member of society. And you wonder, what happened? What was there? And I really think there is such an environment that can make a difference in people's lives. And like I say, I think what the reason why it was so popular, this poem, and why it was still, I mean, you still, you can find it online, is the fact that no matter what religion, whatever, there's bad parents in everywhere, isn't there? I mean, truly, we can see there's bad parenting no matter where you look. All different ages, it doesn't matter if you start having kids at 18 or if you wait to have kids at 40. People can just be very, very self-absorbed, um, really just excited about their own lives and really not giving much to their kids. I think um, probably all of us could probably say that uh, we probably have memories of maybe not being treated maybe with the most patience. I was raised with a dad who completely would um, blow up at the drop of a hat if something were to fall. I remember um, pulling out a drawer, a silverware drawer, and my, the whole silverware drawer falling and all the silverware flying. I mean, my dad just blew, you know, blew up. And, you know, oh, my goodness. You'd have thought it was honestly the end of the world that silverware fell on the ground. And, and you know, that kind of stuff after a while, you really wonder why it is sometimes, you, you know, something happens that's, that's upsetting and, and everyone around you just kind of like freezes. You know, what's people's response going to be? And... I think it's how we're raised. I've told you many, many times before the reason why I, I love doing this job. One of the reasons why, if I can do anything, I'd love people to understand Jesus and salvation. I want you just to get it. I want you to grasp what it is because there's nothing better in your life that you can possibly do that can change your life like accepting Jesus. But the other reason that I will do this is because of the fact that it's so important to recognize those things that you are growing up with now. And I'm not saying your parents are bad parents, but there's all things when we're raised. There's things that we like and dislike about the way that we're raised. There's certain attitudes, there's certain responses, there's certain, um, certain things and how people respond to us that either really hurt us or really lift us up and make us feel good about ourselves. And I think what's really important for us to really start to recognize what it is that we like and what we don't like so that we don't repeat the same exact mistakes over and over and over again when we have kids. You know, when, when it comes time someday for you to, to have children, what ends up happening a lot of times if you're not really self-aware is the same things that you were really treated maybe the way you thought was unfair, you'll go ahead and you'll repeat them because it's learned behavior. And I really hope that I can get somebody to maybe be better parents, to stop and think, no, I'm not going to do it this way. I'm not going to treat people this way. My kids are, you know, I'm going to do it a different way, and I'm going to show love. And, um, you know, I can't say I did everything perfect. My kids, I mean, there were times where, um, you know, glass of milk got knocked over. 
and you'd have thought it was the end of the world. But, you know, I always think it was pretty interesting because it seemed like God always had a really good sense of humor because it never failed when I made a big deal about them not spilling that I would be the one to knock them over, you know, the, the milk all over or something. So it seemed like God was always trying to, like, tell me to just, like, straighten out and, and do it the right way. But I think that there's so many reasons that we can turn out to be either great members of society someday very balanced and able to accomplish much, or we can see that there's some people that honestly are just so stifled and, and just stunted in their growth, and, and they just can't seem to do much and be much. And I think it's a shame. Um, like I said, there's, there's good and there's bad being raised. Now, I, I don't want you to get the idea that just because one thing, one situation, or maybe when I read this poem, you see that there's criticism you know um one time is not going to make the difference whether or not somebody gives you great praise or a couple times if they tell you that you know you're you're they're driving you crazy (laughs) you're driving them crazy kind of thing it's not like the one or two times are going to make the difference but it's it's the constant you know never feeling as though you can make people happy or you just feel like there's a constant criticism or or whatever. Those are the things that are going to make the difference in your life. I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands and I'm not going to tell you to to tell me, you know, what is it that your parents do that probably has hurt you the most? What's been the most painful memory? But I want you to stop and think about what it is. I want you to stop and think, what is it about your life right now personally, because this is really what I want us to do. I want us to be introspective about who we are and why we are the way we are. To stop and think, what is your deepest hurt? What has somebody done to you that caused you the most pain that maybe has made you put up a wall, that's maybe made you um, doubt yourself, that you really don't have as much confidence as maybe you should have, or whatever? I just want you to stop and think about it because I, I can remember clear as a bell the things that were said to me. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how those moments are so big, aren't they? I mean, when you've been criticized by something, someone especially, it doesn't, people don't hurt you if you don't really love them. The worst ones that are going to hurt us are the people that love us the most because they cut us deeper. <laughs> you know, I remember being with my brother-in-law and um, like I said, my mom had died, and my dad was never around. He was an alcoholic, and he was very, you know, abusive. But when I went to live with my sister and my brother-in-law, he was just really young. I mean, my brother-in-law was, I think, 20 or 21 when they were first married. I mean, he was so young. And I look at that now, and I'm thinking, I expected so much more maturity out of him because I was like seven. But, you know, the things that he said were so hurtful, and it was just jokes, they were just jokes. He didn't mean anything by it. He was probably joking. But at my age, I was so sensitive because, you know, of course, you're growing up and you're, you're so self-aware of everything that's going on. And I remember um, things that, you know, talking like he would make a joke, you know. I'm extremely, um, I'm very embarrassed still today of my nose. I feel my nose is absolutely huge because of the fact that he honestly would make fun of me all the time. I mean, the jokes now, looking back, he was actually kind of funny. I mean, when you think about some of the things, he talked about, you know, parking a truck and, you know, semi, he had semis and parking a truck in my nose and, you know, and stuff like that. But, I mean, at the time, when you're young, it's so hurtful. 
it really did hurt me so much on a deep level that I was just so, like, wounded by it. And I don't think he even realizes to this day how much it meant to me, you know, that he would say those things. And I think that those things that we see that have happened to us, that's why it's so important for us to be aware of those little comments that we make around other people that we might think is really light and, and not a big deal, and it's not going to hurt them, but we realize it can be very hurtful. Um, I remember when I was like sixth grade, I think, and I remember going to, I, you know, going to a fairly new school, and, and uh, I remember this young boy that I thought was just so adorable. And I remember, you know, and I, I always had the long blonde hair, and when I was younger, of course, it was even longer. I think it was down to, honestly, here, and it was all curls, and I remember the one time I was talking to um, him, and he was saying something. He goes, yeah, my mom saw you out, like, or something. And she said she, you had hair, your hair was all over the place like a witch. And I thought, you know, looking back on them, thinking, you know, what kind of mother would ever say that? I mean, really, truly, that's hurtful. That's hurtful to do to any kid. But, you know, I'm thinking, that's one of those things, you know, this woman has never met me. But isn't it amazing how those things, that little things that people say, that they honestly stick with us? I'm sure each one of us can remember something. But I really think that we need to um, think about what is it that made us who we are. Great things. What, what are some great compliments that somebody has told you? You know, what are those things that have really given you a lot of um, excitement about who the, per- you know, the person that you are today, the things that you can accomplish because somebody was there to say, great job. That was wonderful. That was fabulous. You know, it might be a parent, it might be a grandparent, it might be somebody else completely unexpected that come into your life that would say, you know, hey, I'm impressed with you. That was wonderful. I mean, those are the things that you you take and you hold inside and you're like, yes, that's the kind of stuff I'm going to dwell upon. And God wants us to really stop and think about those good things. I think sometimes we we can dwell on those bad things, the hurts, especially when we've had rough times, especially when we go through those times of... um, you know, where hurt is, is more, um, sen- you're more sensitive because of something else that happened and, and then we can be our own worst critic and sit there and beat up on ourselves about the things that we are. But, you know, if we can remember those people. I remember um, a friend, you know, at, at school that would say nice things to me and then also a teacher. Gina and I were talking about this not too long ago, a teacher that really meant a lot to her. There was a fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Fitzke. Never met her ever since the day I was in fifth grade. But this is a, a woman who completely understood that just two years before that my mom had died, I was nine years old when I was in her class. And I remember her coming up to me all the time and saying, you know, you're really smart. And all those different things that she would say to me, I was like, I was just basking in that. I was like, yes, this is great. Someone's actually thinking I'm worth something. You know, it meant so much to me. And she was there every single day to tell me that I was doing a great job. And, you know, boy, you're a smart girl. And, you know, you're paying attention. That's really great. You know, and she would always tell me these things and, and really just be there to show love. That it, it really made all the difference in my life. So um, I don't want you to think that just because your parents maybe have said one thing or, you know, a couple times they've said something that's going to completely stunt your growth. But you know what? There's never, I don't think there's anything wrong. I'm going to tell you, as a parent... I really appreciated when my kids would tell me that what I said was hurtful or that when I've said something, they, did you realize when you said it that it really kind of hurt my feelings, that it did bother me? 
you know, those kind of things are, are tough to take as parents. I'm going to tell you as a parent, no one likes it when they, you get told that at that moment. But I'm going to tell you, if you're honest with your, your parents and you can tell them if they've ever said something, you know, when you said that, you know, maybe you didn't realize it, but when you said it, it really was hurtful. Now, I'm going to tell you, I know you boys were back there sitting there thinking, you know, okay, girls can do that. Guys, we're not going to do that. We're men, you know. But if you get an opportunity in a conversation, say, you know, hey, did you mean that when you said that? You can do it in a different way. But I think sometimes we need to make people aware of the things that they say and how they say it and how it affected us. Because I think all of us would probably become better with our words and how we treat people if they did. You know, I think it would be a wonderful world if everybody was treated with kindness and respect while they're growing up. All you have to do is walk in a grocery store and watch kids, and you can see that that's not the case. You see parents a lot of times, honestly, don't even give the time of day, don't even look at the kids, spend any moment of friendship or love at all except for the fact of, like, shut up, come on, hurry up, let's go, you know, that kind of attitude and, and all this. And it's really a shame because I'm going to tell you, when you get a little, your kids get a little older, you realize that you just really do want to go up to those people and say, I know you're stressed out right now, but honestly, you should just enjoy it because it's going to go by so fast. I know you're stressed, and right now you don't want to deal with it. But if you could just look at it the way when you get past that point and realize how much time has flown by so fast, you'd change the whole way you do it. I think, obviously, the way the world has been, we look at the world and we can see that the, the world, because of the way Adam and Eve and the whole thing worked out, Sin entered in, and that's why people treat probably their parents, and they are uh, hurtful in the things they say and they do with their kids. And I think uh, it's really a shame. I think that we hurt our kids over and over again, treating them impatiently and treating them unkindly. But I think we have to stop and think, okay, who are you right now? All that might be who you are. I know my hurts. You have your hurts. There's nobody out here that can say that they are honestly have gotten through this thing called childhood. I have it on my MySpace like this, unscathed, because there's not one of us that does. There's something each one of us is going to be kind of carrying in some hurt. So all of us are going to have something, but what are you going to do with it now? How are you going to handle the person that you are now? With No matter what has happened to you up until this point, how are you going to be become the person that God would want you to be? Um... Not all of us have this great upbringing. Some of you guys might honestly have had just the greatest. That's wonderful. I hope and pray. I know I didn't do things perfect with my kids, but I hope they have a, had a much better upbringing than I had. And that's what I think it's all about, is always giving a better chance to the next generation. You know, not everyone gets this Norman Rockwell. I mean, if you've seen the paintings where everything looks so ideal and perfect, but every person that's here today, God wants you to make the most of who you are right now. Whoever you are, he wants you to be better. And uh, there's a saying that says, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. And I, I believe that with all my heart. You know, life is difficult, it's troublesome, and it's probably only going to get worse. About a month or two months ago, I had a girl come up during prayer, and she says, at this age right now, is it going to get easier? I said, probably someday, but not right now. It probably won't. It probably really won't. And it's not to give her no hope, but it's also just to make her realize that, you know, what chances are it's not going to change like this, you know. Romans 8.18 says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will give us later. And I think we have to just keep that in our minds. 
God wants us to give a, have us to have a great future. I mean, just a wonderful things to look forward to. But you know what? We are going to suffer now. We are going to have some things that aren't going to be great. Um, one thing with God, if he deals in uniqueness, I don't, there's one thing that you see throughout this world is a, a whole bunch of different people, don't you? I mean, if you look out here and you see all the different people, it's amazing, isn't it, that you can have two eyes, a nose, and a mouth, and everybody can look so different. God is unique, and he doesn't create clones. I mean, no matter if even if he is, there's twins, they're not clones. They don't do everything alike. They don't, do, they don't look exactly alike. And so we see that that's not how God works. He's not into cloning people. Each one of us is going to be a special person, and each one of us is going to react in different situations. But his plan is to let us be used greatly by him. And the one thing we have to understand is that God wants to use every single person. There's no one that he doesn't want to use for his kingdom. The salvation experience. Accepting Jesus as your Savior and accepting um, what our true identities are. What he says, I talked to you about that last week. What does God say we are? He says he's, we are his children. You know, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What's so interesting about that is he sent his son to die for us, for our sins. But the thing is, it, we're on the same level as Jesus. I mean, it's amazing that God loved us so much that he considers us his children just like he did Jesus. That's amazing in itself. Uh, Romans eight fifteen and 16 says, So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should have, behave instead like God's very own children adopted into this family calling him father. For his Holy Spirit speak to us, speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. So, the most awesome thing about salvation that I really find, that I want to talk to you about, and it sounds so odd that I think this is the most awesome part, but one thing I think is great is when we get accepted, you know, we accept Jesus as our Savior, and we accept him as our Heavenly Father. I think it is just an amazing gift that he doesn't make us forget everything, that we all of a sudden don't get amnesia and forget our past and forget the people that we came from and who we are now. I think that is an amazing gift. One of the things that I absolutely love is the fact that he takes every single one of the things that created us into the people that we are today, and he takes every one of our pains and our hurts, our struggles, and he takes what we did, the sin that we created, all those different things that we did, and he makes such great use of it all. I, I say it to you all the time, the, the fact that he says he gives beauty for ashes. And I think that's so great because I think it keeps us humble. And it makes us really be able to reach out to other people and to show love and compassion to them. Uh, the word empathy, you know, it's not sympathy where, hey, I feel sorry for you. It's actually feeling someone else's pain when they're in a situation. To feel, to empathize, to think, I know what you're feeling. And I, I know because I was there. I think that is an amazing gift from God. He says he wipes it away. Our sins are as far as east is from the west, but the thing is he doesn't let us forget it. There's days I still get up and I think, oh, thank you, Jesus, I'm not that same person. Thank you, Jesus, that no matter how painful of a childhood I have, that you've given me a new future. But I remember those days. I remember those times. I want to tell you a little story, and I'm sure you guys have heard it. How many of you guys have heard the story of the little, the ugly duckling? Okay. I think we've all heard that story to some degree. It's by Hans Christian Andersen. 
It says, the mother duck who is sitting on her legs waiting for them to hatch has one bigger egg that is taking much, much longer to hatch. And when it finally does, a small bird comes out of it that is noticeably different from all the other ducklings before him. Because of his differences, he is treated badly by all the other ducks around him, even by his own brothers, sisters, and mom. Finally, after constantly being mocked and attacked for his gray, different appearance, he decides to take off to see if he can be accepted anywhere else. But no matter where it is that he goes, he's treated as if he doesn't belong or he's just too ugly, even by the wild ducks, the turkeys, and the other birds. Finally, following a severe winter, the ugly duckling decides to seek out the royal birds that he had once seen long before and dreamt of being, but he still expected them to do nothing but reject him. The story goes on, but what did he see in the clear stream instead? He saw his own image, no longer a dark gray bird, ugly and disagreeable to look at, but a graceful and beautiful swan. To be born in a duck's nest in a farmyard is of no consequence to a bird if it is hatched from a swan's egg. He now felt glad at having suffered sorrow and trouble because it enabled him to enjoy so much better all the pleasures and the happiness around him for the great swans swam around the newcomer and stroked his nest with their beaks as a welcome. That's the same way as it is with us today once we accept Jesus. You know, the full glory of who we are is really yet to be revealed. Someday, we're going to be able to look and we're going to see us as these beautiful creatures that God was always working on. You know, our past, our hurts, he works on every part of that and he takes it and molds it into this beautiful being. And I think that's such a gift all of our hurts and our pain is what's going to make us much, much sweeter someday when we're forgiven. And we're given this fresh start, and we really recognize it. And we really get it. I know that's what's happened with me. Romans eight nineteen says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Someday, he comes back. We know Jesus comes back. His word says it. It's not that he just came as a baby grew up, died, lived, you know, died for three days and then rose up to heaven. But God's word says he comes back. And he comes back for his children, the people who are part of God's family. The world may see us as ugly ducklings, but to God we are beautiful, glorious swans. And we need to understand that. We are not victims, but we are victors. And I think that's with me, no matter how much pain, no matter how much trials, no matter how much struggles I had, you have, anybody out there has. You're victors if you want it. God says you have victory by accepting him as your Savior. God wants us to recognize it, and he wants us to discover who we really, truly are. And he wants us then to really fulfill our God's purpose. You know, to, to stand out from the crowd, you know, so that other people can be drawn to it too, can recognize it. And they're going to actually want to be what you are because of it, because they see the change that has happened in you. goes on and says the story. It says, Then he rustled his feathers, curved his slender neck, and cried joyfully from the depths of his heart. I never, never, ever dreamed of such happiness as this while I was an ugly duckling. You know, we might be ugly now, but you understand, God can take every bit of the hurt and the pain and wipe it away and make us beautiful creatures. I really just think we have to accept the gift that he'll give us. I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus if you haven't done so. I want to pray for you, and then uh, if you can stick around, we're not done. You're not dismissed. Um, 
we are, do have a, a quick thing I want to go through with you real quick to uh, finish. But I want you to bow your head as we could. All right. I want to pray for you. Um, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if there's a time that you really want that, if you would just uh, maybe come speak to me afterwards, or if you just want to raise your hand that you want me to pray for you specifically, I will do that, okay? Um, go ahead and bow your heads. Lord, I just pray that you would just touch each person that's here tonight. I just pray, Father, that whatever hurts they are carrying with them right now, no matter what pain that they've gone through, if it's been someone in their life that's uh, maybe not spoken as much love and compassion as they've needed to, or they truly never even had as many hugs as they needed to get by in this world, I just pray, Father, that right now you would just touch them, that they would be drawn to all the goodness of you, and uh, they would recognize it, Lord. It would be so obvious and evident to them. I just pray, Father, that you would just turn their lives around, and I just pray, Father, that you would help each person here that has accepted you to really just start to, to change the person that they were and become who all that you, wanted them to, you want them to be right now, Lord. I just pray, Father, that you would um, help them to recognize, Lord, that they are victors that they have such victory over all the things that have been in their past and they can change circumstances and they can just have such a bright, clear future. I just pray that you would just uh, be with them that are here today and also their families. I just pray that you would start to heal their families if there's a lot of pain and, and problems, if there's a lot of um, hurt. I just pray, Father, that you would just help to uh, heal them. And I just pray that you just bring each person back that over and over again, Lord, that they recognize how much you love them. And uh, I just thank you, Father, for everything that you're doing and what you're doing in each person's heart. I just praise you for that. And I just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.